Well, March the 11th was when the pandemic was declared, and here we are a little over six months on, and we still don't know how it's going to end. Over the weekend, AstraZeneca and Oxford University restarted their vaccine trials, so that's good news. And most indicators seem to suggest the economies are picking up from the shock of Q2, but we're also seeing infections rise in Europe and in India, and in the US we're still seeing a lot of fatalities. And tech stocks fell again on Friday. So how do you feel today? Glass half full or glass half empty? It's Monday, the 14th of September, 2020. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the US dollar was down about a quarter percent on Friday. That helped the Aussie dollar gain a third of one percent. The euro was up almost as much as the Aussie. The US dollar also down on the Swiss franc by 0.2 percent. The pound didn't move much, but it was down 3.6 percent last week, which, of course, will have helped with the rise in the US dollar uh, early before Friday. Uh, Action on stocks on Friday was very targeted at tech stocks. We had a 0.6 percent fall in the Nasdaq, but a half percent rise in the Dow. There were big falls in Apple, Amazon and Microsoft, but rises in banks and utilities. Small movements in government bonds in the US, but yields down five basis points on 10 years in Germany, the UK and France. We had big falls in gold and silver at the end of the week as well. So we kick off this week with Tapas Strickland, Director Economics for Markets at NAB in Sydney. I mean, we are still left guessing really on on equity markets, but uh, despite the fall on Friday in tech stocks, a lot are listing this week. We've got 12 IPOs, largely software companies and cloud businesses. It's all cloud now, Tapper. We're in the clear. This podcast is on the cloud. Uh, This is actually going to be the biggest week for IPOs since Uber listed in 2019. So, uh, yeah, is is it a good time to be listing, I wonder? Uh, Yes, uh, we have a key test for our market appetite for tech stocks. And tech stocks have been on an absolute tear over the past uh, six months. And indeed, when you look at um, what has happened over the past six months, I just noticed that uh, it has been six months since the... COVID-19 pandemic was officially declared uh, it having been declared on March 11 and since then the S&P 500 is up around uh, 16% so it has been quite a strong ride for um, equities over the past uh, six months for sure. Yeah, by the way Uber I don't know is a great example because if you put your money in it when it it listed you'd still be struggling to try and get your money back. Uh, Another stock that's going to struggle is TikTok. China say they're happy to see it close rather than fall into US hands. I'm going to have to break this news gradually to my daughter, but uh, this is a, a, a sign, isn't it, uh, that you know that that uncertainty between China and the US uh, that that aggression continues. Oh, in, indeed, and it just shows you um, even post uh, the November presidential elections, uh, US-China uh, trade uh, tensions are likely to to continue there. And the other factor in the tech so- sector is there's been more analysis of the uh, data that uh, is being reported on for August, and it was just worth noting retail investors uh, were responsible for around fifty percent of the call option activity in the US and it's widely thought that a lot of that activity was responsible for driving tech stocks higher in August and in early September. So I think there will continue to be a lot of focus around valuations in this sector and to what degree uh, these strategies have been propelling tech stocks higher. Well, I also wonder what influence this is going to have. The news that AstraZeneca and Oxford University, uh, they're back on. They paused their trials because they had one subject falling ill, but now they're back with the hope that a vaccine is going to be available. I wonder whether that is going to be good or bad news for tech stocks because you could argue that if life returns to normal uh, then their opportunity their moment in the sun diminishes but obviously good for risk assets and uh, presumably it would be good for the aussie dollar as well oh in, in, indeed it would and it probably suggests that um, markets should open on a positive tone uh, as, as as we open up and it looks like that's what's happening as uh, new zealand starts trading um 
with the uh, possibility of a vaccine uh, coming by the end of this year, there's a lot more investment research out there talking about what stocks you should own and which would have the most exposure in terms of a cyclical recovery in the US. And indeed, you could start to see some kind of pivot away from tech and more towards those uh, cyclical names uh, if you were to get more progress on a vaccine. Yeah. Although we also have the danger of lockdowns happening again, don't we, as well? If you look in the Europe, for example, 10,000 in one day on Saturday in France, and in the last few days, 10,000 in the UK as well, which is many more uh, than it was a, a week ago. So there's concerns that perhaps they're going to be uh, I- issuing more uh, sort of progressive measures towards a lockdown in uh, in, in parts of, the, of Europe as well. Uh, look, one place that got through the whole lockdown scenario fairly quickly and seems to be on the on the way up, obviously, is China. Uh, a big jump in credit, aggregate financing up to 3.6 trillion won in August. That's 13.3% up in August. So does this let the, uh, the People's Bank of China off the hook a little bit? Less need for them to do more now because people are just borrowing. It does seem like a lot of that strength is being driven by that vigorous uh Bond, bond issuance. And when you look at new uh, yuan loans, they're broadly in line with expectations there. And it's likely uh, a lot of that vigorous bond issuance will, will continue, given that there's a fairly strong pipeline of work on the infrastructure side. Uh, in terms of the uh, People's Bank of China, probably does uh, alleviate some of the criticism um, that has been leveled at, at them and their reluctance to ease policy further right inflation's an interesting question right now isn't it of course because you know is it going, are we going to see more deflation because of the subdued production uh, and consumption that the covid19 has brought about or are we going to see a rising inflation because we we're pumping so much money into the economy uh, so it's always interesting to look at the numbers we saw that 1.3 percent year on year in august was the uh, the cpi number out of the united states that is up from one percent year on year in july so it's heading up of course it's a long way down from where it was was at the start of the year where it was 2.5%, but it is heading up. So what can we read from that? It, the inflation debate at the moment is uh, really, really interesting, and uh, market participants are fairly split there. And you're saying uh, US CPI came in hotter than expected. Uh, it also came hotter than expected for the core measure, which uh, has crept up to uh, 1.7%. And when you look at the latest uh, few months of monthly inflation numbers for the US, <clears throat> they're actually starting to annualize at around 2.4%. So it does suggest there's a little bit of upward momentum in terms of inflation in the US. And uh, I think the two key reasons are is because um, you couldn't really get a price for a lot of items during the pandemic because there's just no transaction activity occurring. And so you're starting to see that wash out of the CPI numbers. Uh, And then the second one is um, a lot of uh, prices had been falling and then now rising, broadly compensating for each other. So when you look at the an alternative measure of core inflation called the trim mean uh, inflation measure uh, put together by the Cleveland Fed, uh, it suggests price growth has been around 2.2 to 2.5% year on year throughout the entire year, uh, throughout the entire pandemic. So the momentum behind inflation hasn't really moved, even though you've seen those very large declines in the headline level. On a monthly basis, and you start, and you're now starting to see those uh, work them uh, at least flush their way out of that system. There, so uh, my own two cents is I don't think we're seeing a pickup uh, in, in in inflation, but maybe the drop in inflation that we saw during the pandemic wasn't necessarily real. Mm. All right. So what does that mean 
for the Fed then? Because, of course, we have the FOMC meeting this week. Oh, definitely. It's going to be a very important meeting uh, for, for markets. And uh, we already know uh, where the Fed is going on this. Uh, Fed Chair Powell uh, did elaborate in a recent uh, speech about the Fed shift uh, to an average inflation target. And we'll be looking more closely at exactly what that average inflation target really looks like. Uh, he did say in that speech that uh, we're not tying ourselves to a particular mathematical formula that defines the average. It's viewed as a flexible form of average inflation targeting. So we'll be looking quite closely at that. Uh, and um, just re-emphasizing uh, the Fed's shift here, uh, Governor Brainard also recently said uh, the Fed is likely to be less preemptive in tightening policy uh, just given um, that the Fed thinks they could have lowered the unemployment rate further and that the Phillips curve is uh, likely a lot flatter than it was previously. Well, well, let's not worry about curves. Let's look at V-shapes because the uh, UK GDP, they haven't got one, by the way. Uh, the, the GDP grew 8.7% in June. Uh, that growth has slowed just 6.6% in July. Uh, you'd be hoping that as uh, lockdowns ease, that number would at least show steady growth, but it looks like that's not happening and the danger of more lockdowns to come. It does suggest that. Uh, UK uh, GDP recovery is uh, starting to slow in the months uh, ahead. And uh, just given those uh, new six-person rules uh, in, in England, it's likely economic activity will uh, slow a, a, mm. a little bit further as well. Yeah, this six-person rule we've got over there, uh, yeah, you can't mix with uh, six pe- six more than six of your friends, which uh, wouldn't be a problem for me because I don't think I've got six friends. Look, the, the Bank of England is uh, meeting this week. I wonder what their response is going to be uh, to that, but also perhaps more to the increased possibility of a no-deal Brexit. Uh, Boris has got everyone talking about this new bill to replace the withdrawal agreement. It could just be a negotiating tactic, but it might backfire. Whichever way you look at it, the Bank of England will have to be taking that into account when they meet this week, won't they? Uh, yes, so you imagine there'll be a little bit of commentary around that in the uh, Bank of England report. And there has been a lot more speculation uh, just given the lackluster recovery occurring in the UK and a lot of uncertainty uh, in the period ahead that uh, the Bank of England may actually start to pave the way for further policy easing uh, in the month ahead and so we'll be looking quite closely around the commentary uh, around that uh, in terms of uh, the latest developments on that UK EU trade negotiations I think negotiation negotiations resume this week and as you're saying uh, the EU is pretty incensed about those uh, legislative uh, changes that the uh, UK made and the EU has said it will not shy away from using all available legal means if the UK is yeah. ahead with that bill I wonder whether they'll need to worry about it he's, he's got to get it passed through the UK Parliament I suspect that's not going to happen Look, locally, uh, the RBA, uh, they're not meeting, but we get the RBA minutes from their last meeting. That's going to be a point of interest. Uh, in terms of uh, domestic news this week, yes, there'll be the RBA minutes and uh, the key employment unemployment report on uh, Thursday. Uh, with the minutes, uh, they are for the September meeting. Uh, and at that meeting, the RBA did extend the term funding facility. And they also inserted uh, this line into the post-meeting statement, uh, continues to consider how further monetary measures could support the recovery. So it's got some in the market thinking the RBA may be preparing to ease policy a little bit further, at least lay the groundwork for that. And uh, we'll talk in the morning call last week about the latest Bloomberg survey uh, for the RBA, which has about um, 60% of market participants expecting the RBA to ease policy further. So the market is still relatively divided uh, in terms of expectations on that. We'll be looking quite closely uh, to see whether there's a little bit more hint exactly where the RBA is going there. Uh, For employment data on Thursday, that's likely to show the impact of Victoria's lockdown. 
Um, but at the same time, it looks like those Victorian new virus cases are starting to um, edge, edge lower or edge further lower. And the seven-day moving average uh, dipped below uh, 50 uh, on Sunday to uh, 46 cases. So that's very encouraging. Yeah, it is indeed. Uh, today, also, we should mention that Japan, uh, we find out who their new prime minister is. And is it going to be someone who continues with Arbonomics or is it someone who looks at uh, the amount of government debt there is and says, well, we need a, a, a more fiscal control? Uh, in, indeed, and the uh, Japanese press are uh, running with the line that the front runner is uh, Yoshida Sugar, and uh, he has reportedly gained key factional support ahead of that vote today. And uh, it's likely, if he were to be elected, then uh, he would largely continue um, Abe's um, economic reform program. So um, it's more likely to be more of the same if uh, that person is elected. Right. We'll watch with interest on that. Good to talk, Tapas. Catch you again soon. Uh, Cheers. Thanks, Phil. And that's the morning call for this Monday morning. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. Back again tomorrow morning. See you then.